Welcome to the first ever Twin Cities Sherm podcast called What the HR. I am your host, Mike Tool. I'm a Twin Cities Sherm board member, an HCM technology consultant for SAP Success Factors, and a father of three. I'm joined here by Jesse Novi, my co host. Thanks, Mike. I'm Jesse, an HR business partner, and I also volunteer as a board member with Twin City Sherm. I live in Minneapolis with my daughter and husband, and I am incredibly passionate about all things HR, but I find myself the most energized when I'm able to roll up my sleeves and dive into projects that are focused on learning and development, leadership development, and org effectiveness. Mike will be hosting this interview, and you may catch me hosting future episodes when needed. But before we dive in to our awesome interview today, we'd like to share some exciting events coming up with Twin City Sherm during the months of September and October. Mike, do you want to kick us off with our first September event? Sure. So on September 18th from noon to 1 o'clock Central Time, we have a webinar titled Calming the Storms. Uh, This webinar is focused on creating connection in the age of isolation. In this interactive webinar, participants will explore the importance of building trust, setting input and feedback rhythms, and treating employees equally but not the same. You'll also learn how to build rapport through new water cooler conversations and see the power and importance of asking the right questions. Finally, you'll receive practical tips and lessons learned for engaging remote, isolated, or disenfranchised employees. And then on September 19th, we're hosting our first ever women's conference. It's being held at the Golden Valley Country Club here in the Twin Cities from 11 a.m. until 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. In addition to the awesome networking opportunity and the phenomenal panel discussion, we have two keynote speakers sharing how you can step up your game by moving from a tactical thinker to a strategic leader. Furthermore, we'll also be discussing coaching resilience and mental toughness in the workplace. On October 3rd, from 8.30 a.m. to 5 p.m., we're hosting our Midwest Employer Conference at the IDS Center in downtown Minneapolis with Littler, one of our strategic partners. This is the premier labor and employment law conference designed for senior leaders in the legal department, HR, and employee relations. By attending, you'll leave with valuable connections and information on the most significant labor and employment development and trends that will help you prepare your company for the workplace in the future. And then also in October, specifically on October 10th from 2 until 5 p.m., you can join us at the Northland Center in Bloomington. We have speaker Marcia Ballinger, who is a longtime Twin Cities executive search leader, and she'll be talking about the nine networking mistakes and how to avoid them. The program is based on the award-winning book, The 20-Minute Networking Meeting. Uh, And finally, on October 28th, uh, from 6 to 8, we will be at Surly Brewing Company for our fall student event. Uh, This is a great opportunity for HR students to gain knowledge, enhance their professional reputation, and network with local HR professionals and students. Our keynote speaker is Heidi Height, talent brand leader at Polaris. She'll be speaking about branding yourself before, during, and after an interview. So in this first podcast today, we're going to focus on tight and changing labor market and learn how C.H. Robinson, a hundred plus year old company, is working to reinvent itself, retain talent, and sustain their culture and competitive advantage. 
To talk about this effort, Mike is pleased to be joined today by Angie Freeman. She is the Chief Human Resources Officer at C.H. Robinson. Angie leads the company's global talent strategies in addition to the company's charitable giving efforts. Angie joined C.H. Robinson in 1998 and during her career at the company has progressively expanded her scope and responsibilities, serving in a variety of positions, including leading investor relations, marketing and public relations, and government affairs. Prior to joining C.H. Robinson, Angie was with McDermott O'Neill & Associates, which is a Boston-based public affairs firm. All right, Angie, so before we dive into our conversation today, would you tell our listeners a little bit about C.H. Robinson? Happy to. And I'd love to start by just saying how thrilled I am to be part of this and um, how much I appreciate the commitment that T.C. Sherm has made to supporting the HR community. It's such an important part of why companies in this area are successful. So thanks for enabling me to be part of that. Yeah, thank you. Um, Okay, so C.H. Robinson. So we are a logistics and supply chain company. So other companies hire us to manage all or a portion of their supply chains, and we ensure that their freight gets where it needs to be when it needs to be there as efficiently as possible. One of the things that's different about us and what people might typically think of when they're thinking about trucking services or logistics services is that we don't actually own the trucks or the ships or the airplanes that we use to move our customers' freight. Mm -hmm. We have relationships with those providers, and through our platform of technology and people, we ensure that that happens the way it's supposed to happen. And we're um, kind of an older company. We've been around since 1905, originally founded in North Dakota, but moved to Minnesota shortly thereafter, and so have been in Minnesota for a long time. This is home. Um, We have about 17, a little less than 17,000 employees worldwide, and um, this is headquarters couple thousand people in Minnesota, and the rest are scattered all around the world in 39 countries. Absolutely. And we definitely want to learn more about what you guys are doing on a global level. Um, as I was researching for the podcast, for Minnesota specifically, like Minnesota is getting older. So by 2035, Minnesota will have more people over the age of 65 than school-age children, uh, which is going to be the first time in our state's history. Um, and then by 2050 – the 65 and older group is expected to grow by 75%. I'm curious on C.H. Robinson's side um, or on your personal perspective, um, what are your thoughts on the current landscape? Yeah, well, we are seeing in Minnesota and really all over the world that the demographics of the workplace are changing a lot. And um, I think that speaks to a larger Mm -hmm. issue, which is it is getting more and more competitive for top talent. And as the world is changing, what you see, if you think about Um, the most successful companies of our time, the ones that have driven real sustained value over a long period of time, they all share a couple things in common. They are laser focused on having the right people, on having a performance culture, and they put their customers at the center of everything that they do. Um, And part of that is really understanding where is your talent going to come from and how do you ensure that you're developing them appropriately and that you're hanging on to them Mm -hmm. and that they are choosing to stay with you because they understand that their best long-term career opportunity is is with your company. So if you take a step back and think about the demographics, you're absolutely right. I mean, the the world is changing. A big portion of our population is aging and will be leaving the workforce and we have these new generations coming in with very different expectations about what their careers will look like, what they expect from an employer. And they're also much more diverse. In the United States, um, Gen Z is the most diverse generation in the history of our country. Um, I think, if my stats are correct, under 18, 
um, white people are the minority. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're going to see a very definite change in the demographics. So companies who are not doing a really good job and being really smart about attracting all kinds of people and ensuring that it's a place where those people can be their best, they will lose out. Because again, if you think about we're in a knowledge-driven, innovation-based economy. Mm-hmm. Talent and culture are the most durable competitive advantage. Right. Yeah, and I, it's crazy that there's what four different generations in the workplace mm-hmm. today. <clears throat> you know, everybody's heard attract, retain top talent. Right. I think I think it's common knowledge now that that's a huge competitive difference specifically for you guys, what are you guys doing to address it? Yeah. So we think a lot about this and being smart with our strategy around talent. And um, if you think about, first of all, how tight our labor market is um, in the United States, our unemployment rate is at 50-year low, um, that we have a very low labor participation rate in our population, so that also makes it more difficult. Um, And then the candidates today, you know, we talk about Robinson, how – job searching has really become more like job shopping, Mm -hmm. that people have so much information available to them that they can find out a lot about um, what it's like to work at a company, how competitive the pay and benefits are. So you have to be really sharp on that. So what we have done is take an approach of thinking about our people and our talent um, and understanding them as deeply as we would want to understand our customers for our services. Um, Because young people, well, all people, but everybody is becoming much savvier consumers of the job market. Um, So what we did is we we developed what we called an employee value proposition um, to help us think about how do we better strategize and how we should be marketing ourselves and differentiating ourselves as our talent brand. And we tackled that project the same way marketers would tackle thinking about their customer and getting the voice of the customer. Um, We did an extensive data analysis of both internal and external talent trends. We got input and feedback from current, former, and potential employees and also Robinson leaders. Mm -hmm. And through all this, we identified what differentiates Robinson as an employer. And these are not just important for us being able to attract talent, but also for retaining it. And I'd also say these are the things that are powerful and authentic to the Robinson experience, but may not um, be relevant to other companies. And and I guess my advice would be every company should think about this being really strategic and, and intentional about understanding why people would want to work for you, and what, and what will cause them to stay. Some of the things that we identified that are key attributes of Robinson's um, in employee value proposition were, um, and you'll see these are right in line with what um, people coming to the workforce are asking for, that our employees believe that the work they do is really meaningful, that they understand that the purpose of what we do and how that makes the world a better place, and they understand the impact that they can have. And we have a culture of giving back. Um, corporate philanthropy and employee engagement in the community is a really important part of who we are. Um, our employees also tell us that they're excited about working alongside other people who are also motivated to do great work for the customer and in a culture that values that commitment to performance. Um, the other couple things that they've told us is they really like being on the forefront of technology and shaping the future of supply chains and then learning and career growth, that those are important parts of why they choose to be at Robinson. And you boil all that down, and the way we kind of summarize it is that we want to make sure that for our employees and potential employers, we're answering for them three really important questions. Am I growing? Am I making an impact? And does it matter? And if we do a good job answering those questions for talent, they will want to join Robinson, they'll want to stay at Robinson. 
And it sounds like that was, so kind of going back to the first thing you said about going out and doing research, figuring out market trends, that was a proactive approach by C.H. Robinson. Correct. So you guys weren't waiting for something to happen to you. You wanted to get out in front of it. That's which I exactly think is important right. to note um, because I think it's it's easy to look back and see what had happened and try to fix it. Right. But I'd say great companies are looking forward right. to find out what what what's to come and how do we get out in front of yeah. it. Yeah. Using kind of a transportation analogy, we'd say we want to be looking through the, the windshield and not in the rear view mirror. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So, I mean, it, it's yeah, it's obviously clear that, you know, employees are everything to C.H. Robinson. They're the ones that mm-hmm. move the business. Um, talk a little bit about how you guys are supporting employees both at work while they're here, but also on a home front, so in their personal lives. Yeah, well, that's a great question. So um, as I talked about, we did this employee um, value proposition work, and then we combined that with what we've called our employee listening strategy to better understand what our employees care about, what what will cause them to be more engaged, what drives their performance, what drives their satisfaction Mm -hmm. and excitement about being at Robinson. And you're right. I mean, it has to be both at work and it has to also feel like they're supporting them in the other parts of their life. Um, And just as a sidebar, you know, we, we, as part of that, we did um, what's called a total rewards optimization survey, which sounds really big and official, but basically (laughs) it was, a survey that we did of all of our employees um, to better understand what benefits and attributes of working at Robinson matter most to them. And it was done um, as a conjoint survey, meaning it forces you to make choices because everyone can say, I want everything. But if you really have to make choices on what exactly matters most to you, you can quickly start to whittle down exactly what what drives people's um, excitement about working at a company. And... um, it's a very powerful way to learn more. In our case, it wasn't because we wanted to figure out where we could save money on our total rewards. That was actually the opposite of what we wanted. What we wanted to make sure is that if we're going to make these important investments in our people, which are the most important reason for our success, we want to make sure we're spending on the things employees care about. Mm-hmm. So we did that survey and um, through that learned some things about um, where our employees wanted to see some things made different. So we did some things like increase our 401k match. We increased our PTO. We added parental leave. And all those things were really well received. I will tell you that one of the coolest threads of that whole experience was we got tons of emails after the fact, you know, thanking us for some of those benefit additions that we made. But the common thread was um, excitement from our employees around, wow, you asked us what we wanted, you asked us our opinion, you listened, and you actually made some really big decisions based on what we had to say. And that's been a really cool um, kind of unintended outcome of this, but really informed us the fact that we've got to continue to have this two-way communication back and forth so we can ensure that we're staying close to what our employees care about. Well, and we talked about that, you know, a couple weeks ago when we were prepping. Um, and, and we talked about how if, if, if you're going to go to your employees and you're going to ask them what's important to them, you have to follow through and execute right. on what's important to them. Right. Um, and it sounds like, and I remember another thing you said was after you started doing that, you started to see overall engagement increase just on all surveys that you guys did. Yes, you're absolutely right. Um, So first I'll tell you that there was some um, nervousness among some members of the management team about doing more of these surveys and asking employees for what they want because there was concern that we'd be setting up a situation where then we couldn't meet their expectations. And we're asking what they want if we didn't do everything employees wanted then they would be disappointed. Mm -hmm. And what we found is, no, as long as you're being transparent and honest in your communication, you you explain rationale, you might not be able to do everything the employees are asking for, but you can at least get the opportunity to explain to them why you're making the choices you did. 
Right. Um, and then you're right. So as one of these outcomes of us asking for feedback, listening, and acting on it is in our most recent engagement survey, that was one of the highest scoring and most improved items on the survey was people was the question around, I believe that something will be done with the results of this or with this feedback from this survey. That's great. Which, again, is a huge sign of, um, I think, employees' belief that their opinions are valued and that they do have an impact. Yeah, they trust. They trust you guys. Exactly. So it's a bottom-up approach. Um, out of that survey, when I talked, when we, we talked a little bit about community, philanthropy, um, any changes to those programs from what you guys found? Yeah, it, not so much big changes, but it reinforced for us that the path we've been on is is working. So first of all, it reinforced that it is it is a really important part of Robinson's cultural DNA that the company believes in giving back and supporting the communities where we live and work, and that that is an important part of why employees want to come to Robinson and what they value and feel proud about at Robinson. But another thing that um, it told us is when we when we decided to get more proactive and intentional about our corporate philanthropy and our charitable giving, we took kind of a fork in the road that's different than a lot of companies used to take, which is we decided rather than the decisions about where we're going to give being made by people sitting at the top of the organization, that we were going to let our employees decide mm -hmm. and that where we would give and where we would volunteer and where we would do events would be driven by what causes matter most to our people. And that's clearly resonated significantly with our people because, again, it's another measure of we're listening to them and we know they drive their our success as a company, so we want to be sure to support the causes that mm -hmm. matter most to them. So in the past, it was driven from top down. Not a Robinson, but I think, you know, it's been a more, it's traditionally it, a lot of companies that's sort of the way that those programs right. were set okay. up that, yep. you know, executives or people sitting at the top of the organization would say, we've decided that this cause is important. So therefore right. all the company dollars will go here or the employee match will only go if it goes to here. We took the bottom up approach again, consistent with kind of our culture and our philosophy that the people are the most important part of our success. Let them make those decisions. Yeah, and there's so many ways to give now too that exactly. you want to let people yep. be able to choose what's important to them. Yeah. So Angie, as a leader of a global organization in the HR field, a lot of our listeners probably aspire to be in the role that you're in and probably have some interest in, hey, what does your day-to-day -day look like mm -hmm. or your week look like? Can you talk us through a little bit um, about your weekly cadence or your daily sure. cadence? Sure, happy to. So um, one of my former bosses kind of got me thinking in this framework and it's proven to be very helpful to me that when you think about your role, in any role, you kind of have three areas or buckets of focus. One is, who are you as a teammate? We all have a team of peers that we need to work together with. How are you as a teammate? How are you as an individual contributor? What do you bring to the table? And then how are you as the leader of your function? In my case, a leader of an HR team. And how do you ensure that that team is a high-performing team? And so when I think about how I spend my time, I'm often thinking about how do those th three things break up. One piece of that that's maybe... Um, more particular to being a C-suite leader or a CHRO or any other leader is kind of the engagement with the board. So I'd say generally, if you look over a year's time, um, maybe 20, 15 to 20% of my time is board related, whether it's compensation committee or talking directors or going to board meetings and preparing for those board meetings, that does tend to be sort of specific to that role. But other than that, the rest of the time is really around those three things. How am I contributing as an individual contributor and being a strategist for talent? I like to consider myself a business person first before mm -hmm. an HR practitioner. I think, I think that's an important mindset because as HR professionals, we really can't drive the kind of effectiveness and performance in the business if we don't truly understand the business. And then I probably spend 
on a weekly basis, half my time managing the team. Yeah. So it's a pretty big portion of the team, both my direct reports and then um, the, the, the other fun- the functional areas and the teams um, around them to help ensure that we're working on the right things and that um, they have the support they need from me. Any morning routines oh. that you have? Well, when I'm uh, when I'm in a groove, I try to work out in the morning before mm-hmm. I come to work. I find that sets up my day yeah. um, as best as possible. About six months ago, I picked up meditation, kept reading about mm-hmm. how um, cool and effective it is and how it helps people. So I downloaded the app um, Headspace, Yeah, and I, it has been incredibly helpful, and I highly recommend it. There's several like that. There's one called Calm, and there's some others, but just that idea of spending time kind of uh, calming yourself, but also more importantly, like learning how to control sort of your focus and the, the ability to be present. You know, we all have such huge um, to-do lists. I call it the tyranny of the day-to-day schedule mm-hmm. that it can be hard sometimes to focus on what you're working on in that moment and really focus on the person you're with. And I feel like it's helped me a lot. So between those two things, if I'm doing those well, it, it turns out to be a good day. I um, The last piece on that is I put myself on a cable news diet because I realized I was watching way too much news <laughs> programs and it was making me cranky. So um, I've, I've gone away from that and now I listen to music on the way into the office and I find that really sets me up well as, for the day as well. Great. Um, as far as in your role, there's going to be strategic things to do and then there's going to be administrative or, sure. or tactical. You know, obviously in your role, you're going to be at the top from a strategy standpoint. Um, for somebody who maybe isn't in that same role, how do you, or how would you recommend they balance strategic initiatives mm-hmm. like working with their employees, like doing surveys versus you know, handing compliance or yeah. things that you know aren't necessarily going to impact the culture, but they have to be done? Right. I, the, I think just understanding that there are both kinds of work and they're both really important is the first step, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we can't all just be strategic all day and not get the work done, and we can't just be tactical and not think about the future, right? So there has to be a blend. Some roles lend themselves more to one or the other. And typically, as you progress upward in an organization, you're going to spend more time on the strategy, but you still have to ensure that you have operating excellence, right? And that comes down to people doing what they need to do to ensure that the company is protected and the company is operating well. So I think there has to be really important value on both. And I think as leaders, you have to be careful not to sort of sound like one is more important than the other, because I think that'll put you out of balance. Um, So... It just comes down to, I think, being, again, kind of intentional and thinking about where you spend your time and making sure that you are, you do have that balance of both across yeah. your organization. And some people are just uh, more comfortable playing in either space, and that's okay, too. Just whatever you choose, be the best you can be. Um, so in Minnesota, uh, we have more women in the workforce than anywhere else in the country. Um, in talking to you, I know that hiring women and also people of color is a big area of focus for C.H. Robinson. Uh, Can you talk a little bit more about how you guys are doing that and how it's impacted your culture? Yes, for sure. So we've been on a journey with this for a while now with our diversity inclusion strategy. And I will say that we are not where we ultimately want to be. We know we want to be and need to be more diverse at all levels of the organization, both in terms of women, but also people of color and other broad definitions of diversity. But we, we do feel good about the fact that we've made some progress. And some of the things that we've done most recently to kind of drive a little bit more forward momentum on some of those things is we hired a diversity and inclusion program manager, somebody who's focused on that. We try to make it really clear that diversity and inclusion isn't owned by that person or by HR. Diversity and inclusion is owned by everybody, mm-hmm. but it does require somebody having that as a focal point to help drive and coordinate the efforts. Um, we're in the process of establishing a framework for employee resource groups 
Um, that is not something we've had at Robinson. We've had groups, especially women's groups, kind of spring up organically across the company, but now we're going to put more support and backing and resources available to them. Um, we have trained our, uh, or put our, our entire leadership team through um, unconscious bias and inclusivity training, and that will be rolled out to every people manager in North America mm-hmm. by the end of this year. Um, and then um, a couple other things we've done, especially around women, we had last year our very first women's leadership summit. So the senior most women at Robinson around the globe came together for a couple of days to kind of work together and be a think tank for how can we drive more women in, in leadership at Robinson, develop more women. And then for about 10 years now, we've had um, a, a development program for high potential women who we believe can be leaders in the company called the Leadership Networking Circle, which has been incredibly effective and we see that a lot of the women who are progressing up in the organization went through that program and it's a kind of a combination of development skills and also just networking Um, because we are in a lot of different locations around the world there are some women who may not have a lot of peer support within their office Mm -hmm. because their office is small and so having a the opportunity to build up that network of support has been um, really really helpful so when we kind of take a step back and look at some of our statistics and how we're doing. Again, we know we have a ways to go, but as you think about us relative to the S&P 500, we're doing pretty well. It starts at the top. Our board is 30% female. I think for the S&P 500, it's about 21%. All employees at Robinson were about 46% female. Um, and then for managers, 36%. So, and, and those would be pretty much in line with S&P 500, but we're setting a high standard for ourselves because well, a couple reasons might be obvious, and I know I'm kind of singing to the choir here um, with the listeners, but um, it's it's very clear. The research is crystal clear. Diverse companies perform better. They perform better on all kinds of financial metrics. Diverse teams are more innovative. They're more creative. They're able to look at solutions more objectively. Um, and so we want to ensure that we're setting ourselves up for success by also having that diversity. The other thing is what we talked about earlier, which is talent coming into the marketplace is more and more diverse. And in addition, what we hear from our um, Generation Z and millennial employees is that diversity and inclusion matters a lot to them. Mm-hmm. It's a big part of how they think about their companies. And um, even if they themselves don't consider themselves diverse, it matters to them that they're working at a company that does. So um, so we want to be part of that. We want to make sure that we're capitalizing on yeah. having the best people at yeah. Robinson. Diversity and inclusion isn't just a buzzword. It's, no. it's something that you guys have ingrained in your culture. And, you know, as I think about our listeners uh, within Twin Cities, sure, a lot of people, they don't work for a C.H. Robinson. You right. Know, they don't have 17,000 employees. They maybe right. have 200 or they have, you know, they're the only person in the HR department. Right. So one thing you mentioned was that although you went out and you got a manager dedicated to it, it really kind of, it rests on everybody. Yes. Um, yes. So, you know, I'm just curious as far as, you know, what can some of those folks maybe be doing within their companies? Um, is it just setting a, a goal, a percentage, or like, can you talk a little bit more about what they could possibly be doing as an HR one or two? Yes. Yeah. I think that's a great point because not everybody has a resource to do it, but I think everybody can take a look at all of your talent strategies through the lens of DNI to identify, you know, how are we doing in this area and is what we're doing helping or getting in our way? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first thing is just knowing your numbers, right? And you have to take an objective look at your own um, demographics and say, how are we doing at different levels of the organization by lots of different measures of diversity, uh, things you can see like gender or uh, people being a person of color and things you can't see, um, but are also meaningful dimensions of diversity. So start with, you know, where, where are you at? You can set a goal. Um, 
I know some companies feel really strongly about setting a goal and others say, you know, that setting a goal might create some unintended consequences. So let's sure. just work on getting better. Um, and I think either way is effective, but it just depends on your own organization. And then I think the next step is once you know your numbers and once you know generally where you're headed, you do need to look at all of your talent practices through the lens of DNI and understanding is what we're doing in these with these processes, with these talent pools, with how we're evaluating people, with how we're promoting people. Is any of this potentially causing us to let unconscious bias get in the way or cause people to not feel like they belong if they don't look like everybody else? Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that's something that everybody can do, whether or not you're a DNI professional or not. I think as smart talent practitioners, like we all are, you can you can see that. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you. Um, so, kind of winding it down, um, you know, as a CHRO of CH Robinson, you know, what would you provide to our our listeners as a, as a last takeaway? Uh, you know, we talked about regardless of the size of the company they work for. Um, you know, what advice would you give? Uh, them on kind of how to get started. Um, would you boil it down to a strong listening strategy for your employees? Yeah. Is it, you know, find data in other forms? Like what, what are you doing that you could pass along? Yeah, I, I, I'll sound like a broken record and you hit on it, but I do think having a really robust um, and effective employee listening strategy is the way to start. Um, we do, as, a, as, a, as an industry, we have to continue to think about our talent as our customers in a way. Mm-hmm. And making sure that we understand what talent is looking for, how we're going to be competitive for talent, and what we're offering, and if that's going to cause us to retain and set those people up to be to do the best work of their lives. And that starts with listening and understanding what those people care about, and um, what. And you might not be able to do everything, but at least they'll give you a better understanding of the type of employees you want, what it is that matters to them. Um, I saw an article recently, and the headline was something like, take care of your best people or somebody else will. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way it works now today is people yeah. have lots of options. As I said, there's a, so much information available out there um, that is very easy for people if they're not feeling quite engaged or feeling like they've got the same opportunity, that it's easy for them to find somewhere else that will. Absolutely. I mean, with things like LinkedIn and Facebook, I mean, you're contacted by recruiters every day. Right. If, uh, you know, obviously, from a money side of things, people care. You know, you hear about people leaving jobs for 25 cents. I I think there's some truth in that, but I think if if you have all the other things right, um, people can look past some of those small financial gains. Um, and work for an employer of choice. Um, so anything else on from a C.H. Robinson side that you think our listeners should know? This is your, your yeah. chance well, for a plug. Yeah, right? thank you. And I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't <laughs> plug. But just real quick, a, a plug for the, the folks listening to this and, and for our industry. I mean, this is a super exciting time to be in HR. Yeah. I don't know that there's ever been a better time to be in HR. If you are kind of watching what's happening out in the world and how much attention everybody is paying to the importance of talent and talent strategy – um, this this is the time where HR folks get to be right square in the middle of business strategy and driving change. Um, there, are, as, as, as note of that, a book that recently came out called Talent Wins. It was written by three real heavyweights, um, a senior professor from MIT, um, a former managing partner of McKinsey, and a managing partner of Corn Ferry. And they basically said that the, this is a basic truth of our time that in a knowledge-based, innovation-driven economy, talent has never been more important to the success of a corporation. Talent, even more than strategy, is what creates value. Mm -hmm. And I I completely agree with that. And every CEO survey you see, 
whether it's done by PwC or McKinsey or corporate executive board, in all of those, when they talk to CEOs about what keeps them up at night or what CEOs are worried will keep them from reaching their company growth strategies, it's all about talent. Yeah. We are the ones who are going to help solve that problem. And the last thing I'll say about that is that um, increasingly shareholders and boards of directors are focused on this as well. The SEC just last week, the Securities and Exchange Commission, came out with proposed new disclosure guidelines that are all around human capital metrics and potentially requiring publicly traded companies to disclose what are the things you are doing as a company to attract and develop and retain really? your people. And to me, that's a very clear measure of how important the world is recognizing mm -hmm. that these, these things are to companies' success. So great time to be in HR, and I'll get off my soapbox on that. <laughs> um, last thing I plug on Robinson is I will say um, – we have been recognized for many years as um, an incredible place to work, a great place to work. Um, our engagement surveys um, score in the top quartile globally, um, and it's a place where we've had a very long commitment to um, providing great development careers and opportunity um, to people and, and want people to stay for a long time and give them opportunities to grow and try new things. I'm a great example. Before... I um, moved over to lead HR. I also led marketing investor relations. So I like to say I'm a real-life example of Robinson's philosophy. Mm -hmm. And we are always looking for talented, dedicated new people. So send them our way. I will. <laughs> so how can people connect with you on a professional um, level outside of... Sure. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I try to be pretty active on that. and Or, or reach out to me at CH Robinson. Um, and if you're interested in Robinson as a career potential, check out our website at chrobinson.com. Um, but feel free to reach out anytime. I'd love to hear from everybody. Great. Well, Angie, thank you so much for joining us on our first ever podcast for TC Sherm. Thank you.